Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Amanda. Worship team. Morning, church. Good to see you. If you're visiting with us, especially glad to have you. If you're watching from home, we get it. It's cold. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 4 in just a moment. I'm actually going to start in Genesis 2, and then Ephesians 4 is where we'll settle in. Um, if you're visiting, you're not from Texas, this winter just started yesterday. Uh, the first of like three. So we get winter not as a season, but in like three to five day spurts. And so that's what just happened. It's okay. Wednesday, you'll need sunscreen again. You're, you're fine, okay? So for those of you who just moved to town, that's what just happened. Um, and the, uh, all of our heaters are not working this morning, and that's why it's a little chilly even inside uh, the church this morning. But I'm glad you're here. Um, ladies, just a special announcement. Um, our women's ministry is kicking off for the spring. I'm going to give you all four dates, but I won't be coming back each month to do reminders like we did in the fall. Um, this is for men as well. So go ahead and look at the dates, ladies. These are the four dates for women's ministry. If you want to put those in your own calendar or write those down, that way you've got them as a reminder. Uh, if you need to plan ahead, uh, we'll be in this room at 6.30 on Wednesday. Uh, all are welcome. If you've got a friend or neighbor who doesn't even come to church here, bring them with you, coworker, family member. Um, all the ladies will gather in here for a time of worship, small group, and uh, it'll be a really sweet time. So that's this Wednesday. All right, so uh, we are in a series uh, entitled Created. We are looking at why we are even here. Like, what are we here for? And we are tethering together uh, the purpose of the church to uh, the purpose of all of humanity. Like, why God put us as humans here on earth. Um, the purpose of one of us is the purpose of us, of us all. And that's why the church exists. And so our vision statement is this. We are a church that exists to make disciples for Jesus. If we have a slide for this, just you hear it every week, maybe seeing it will even help. Uh, making disciples for Jesus through gathering in Christ-centered worship, growing together in biblical community, and then living the mission in our everyday lives. And today we're going to focus in on this growing together in biblical community piece. Um, we've got really two concepts coming together in this phrase. One is the idea of growing, and the other one is of together, right? And so we're going we're gonna to see how these two things are actually hand in glove in the church, um, that as one of us grows, we all grow, and that uh, your spiritual growth is intimately connected to a stranger across the room who's also a member of the church who's growing spiritually. And we're going to start in, uh, in with just a, a deeper look at this idea of growth. So what do we mean by growth? Um, what we're talking about is spiritual growth, okay? Some of us are young enough that we're still physically growing. Others of us have already peaked, and we're now on the decline physically, maybe even mentally. But spiritually, the concept of the Bible is this, that we never stop growing until we reach eternity, okay? So if you've been a Christian for, um, you know, 50 years, or you just gave your life to Christ in one of the songs that we were just singing, we're all growing spiritually. The Bible word for this is sanctification. Okay, I know it's a big word, and I'm going to unpack what it means. It actually has kind of a twofold meaning. Uh, the first part of sanctification is what we do, and that is the idea of dedicating yourself to a deity. Okay, so that's sanctification from a human perspective. When I dedicate myself to God, I lean in. I say I'm yours, and I'm committed, and I'm going to give you my all. That's, that's part of sanctification. But the really powerful part and the miraculous part of sanctification is what God does in return. 
in our lives as he purifies us and grows us. Here's the definition. It's the idea of the purification of the heart and life toward moral purity and holiness. If you're a Christian, God's working in you. So as you lean into him, he's leaning into you. Matter of fact, he's put his spirit in you and he's growing you and he's purifying your heart towards holiness. So when the scripture says, be holy as I am holy, the idea is that we lean into God and he works in us to make us holy. Okay? So that's the idea of sanctification. Now, when we look at our purpose for why we are here, um, we're going to see some, some really clear connection to the idea of doing all this together. Okay, so if we go back to Genesis chapter 2, um, if you aren't familiar with the structure of Genesis, it's really put together in a really unique way. Uh, chapter 1 is an overview, like a 30,000-foot flyover of the seven days of creation. Then what happens on, day two, on, on chapter 2 is that, is that um, God takes like a, a microscopic view at, at the sixth day in the creation of man. Does that make sense? So it's, here's the overview, and then chapter 2 slows down and kind of zooms in on Adam in the garden and what God's doing intimately on that day. And so we're in chapter 2. I'm going to pick up in verse 15. Let's look at what's happening in the garden. Uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God is making declarations over creation in chapter 1. At the end of each day, he says it's good, it's good, it's good. Until he gets to the end, he says it's very good. But now here we are in the middle of one of those days, and it's not good yet. Matter of fact, God makes a declaration. As Adam is there in the garden, he puts Adam in the garden and says, it is not good. That man should be alone. What, what is happening right now is not complete. It's not good. Man was created for more than just being alone. And so then what happens after this is, verse 19, Adam begins to look for someone. Okay, he's looking for someone. Like something is hardwired in Adam to know it's not good for me to be alone. And he starts looking. Verse 19 says this, that out of the ground... The Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them uh, to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. And so the question is, did Adam find what he was looking for? The very next phrase says, but for Adam there was no helper fit for him. It's not good for a man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Adam begins to look. For somebody like him, somebody who fits with him, somebody who sees him and can know him. And after he's surveyed all that God has created so far, Adam is left with this desire of like, I need another one of me. I need somebody who can see me. I'm looking for somebody, and I'll use this phrase again in a minute, who's looking for me. In um, Kurt Thompson's book, The Soul of Shame, it's a really helpful and powerful book around this idea of shame from a biblical perspective he says this we all are born so he's speaking into the the nature of why you're here as a human we are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us and that we remain in this mode of searching for the rest of our lives that's a big statement. 
that every person is born into the world looking for someone who is looking for them. And this is what I think Adam's doing right here. He's looking for somebody who, who's looking for him. Now, take this and we could tease it all out. Like you were born into the world looking for somebody looking for you. You didn't even know it. Like your prefrontal cortex wasn't even formed yet. And you were crying out for somebody. Can anybody hear me? Can anybody see me? You didn't have words. All you had was a, a cry. And you were hoping that somebody was looking for you. Let's fast forward to today. The reality is this, that I think every one of us walked into church today looking for someone looking for you. Whether it was on the front of your mind or not, you were hoping somebody would be here to begin with. (laughs) You wouldn't be by yourself. But that somebody might see you, their face might light up, they would greet you, they might hug you, they would shake your hand, they would in some way let you know, I'm glad you're here. I'm looking for you. And this is what Kurt Thompson's saying, is that we never outgrow this desire. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. And so the idea of togetherness, like, is inherently hardwired into your humanity. And the reality is this, for some of us, according to you two, you still haven't found what you're looking for. Like, some of you are, are here today going, I'm still looking for that. Like, I looked for that my whole childhood, and I couldn't find it. When I thought I had it, it was gone. It was fleeting. I thought I found it in this person. They left me. They betrayed me. They hurt me. I thought I had it in this relationship, this marriage, this thing. I had it in this church, and then then it was gone. So maybe you still feel like you haven't found that thing that you're looking for. Someone who's looking for you. Well, God creates Eve. And I love how this ends in the the end of chapter 2, verse 24, after he sees Eve. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. When does he do that? When he finds somebody looking for him. When he finally finds that one. He will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. What does that mean? And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed true intimacy fully exposed no shame fully known fully loved that's what's being described here that's what adam was hardwired to look for and he looked at everything that had been created and that won't do and that won't do and that won't do until god creates the woman and brings her to the man and now he's like finally that's bone of my bone flesh of my flesh she can see me the same way i see her she can hear me the same way I hear her. And Adam found what he was looking for. We think about our need for intimacy, and I like the, the way that um, some people define this, into me see, intimacy. So that's what we're talking about, into me see. I'm letting you see into me, letting, letting myself be fully known, hoping that I will also be fully what? Loved and accepted. Um little illustration around, you know, what, hap- what I think happened in COVID for some of us during the COVID shutdown, not when you got COVID, um, but that what happened in the shutdown in March of 2020, that caught us off guard, and it wasn't all for, for bad, right? Like, there were things out of that, you're like, I kind of missed that part of it. And, you know, as humans, we can live, um, we can live life um, 
in borderline dehydration for a long time. I don't know if you knew this or not. So physically speaking, uh, you can live borderline dehydrated or partially dehydrated. It's not until you either get sick or you can't get to water that you become aware of it. Something happens, okay? And then, and then that dehydration becomes a desperation. And so the vast majority of us in this room more than likely are a little bit dehydrated right now. You just don't know it, okay? That's, that's what COVID did for us. It allowed us to see how dehydrated we were intimately, how dehydrated we were relationally, that we have been running the plays, we have been showing up for all the things on the calendar, we've been doing all the things, while all the while, a little bit of starvation on the inside, a little bit of relational dehydration on the inside. COVID hits, not only am I like not interacting with people anymore, when I do, they've got a mask and I can't see their face. Are they smiling at me or not? Like I can't tell and and so this, the COVID, that, that kind of that moment of awakening for us, I think, was not just that I'm lonely in, my, in this time of shutdown, but I've been lonely for a long time. I should know it. I've been starving for this relational connection where I'm forced to slow down and stay in the same space with another human for a long period of time. There's something sweet about that. What was sweet about it is that it, we were being nudged back to what we were created for. Intimacy, human connection. It is not good for man to be alone. First principle I'm going to pull out today, and then we're going to go to Ephesians 4 for the rest, is this idea. So growing together in biblical community, principle number one, we were created to live in a space where we are fully known and fully loved. You were created to live in a space where you could be naked and unashamed. I'm meaning that metaphorically at the moment, although that can translate into marriage. All of us, even in this space, you were created to be fully exposed, fully known, and fully loved. Now we're going to go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is the passage that Shane read. And this passage actually outlines a lot of our ministry philosophy here as a church. I'll unpack that as we go along. I want to start in verse 11. And the, it's going to start with, and he gave. That he is Jesus. So in this passage, Paul has just talked about Jesus giving gifts to the church, giving gifts to us. And he gave, and these are some of the gifts that Jesus has given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. I don't think that's an exhausted list of church leadership. What Paul is saying is these unique church leadership roles are given to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why? What's the why? To do something. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up. We're gonna, there's that growth idea. For building up the body of Christ. There's something that I say um, to new staff members um, early on. Um, and usually like day one, one of the first things I say is, okay, let's go over your job description. We go over it and I go, okay, now here's your primary responsibility. I need you to work yourself out of a job. The day you come to me and you go, I don't know what to do because everybody in the church has kind of taken over what I do and they're doing a great job. That's the day I give you a high five and say, success. Now I exaggerate that because um, the reality is staff has still got to do quite a few things, but we do operate 
um, with this conviction that for everything that we do and that we get paid to do, there are like 10 more of you out there who are gifted and called to do that same thing. And so the idea isn't that you would come and show up and watch a five-person basketball team, uh, you know, completely dominate, but that you would show up with your jersey on ready to go and that slowly but surely staff members would begin to move their way to the sideline and put you in the game and encourage you and coach you and your gifting and your calling and your ministry. So our leadership exists at the church to actually equip you to do ministry. We're working ourselves out of a job. We're trying to get you in the game. That's when the church is going to flourish, as we're going to see in just a moment. Second principle is this, growing together in biblical community, principle number two. It's a mouthful. Leaders have been given to the church to equip the members for ministering to one another. To one another. And there's 41 another's in the New Testament that describe how you're to be interacting with one another, serving, loving, greeting. Church members are to be known and loved by one another, not just church leadership. So imagine a church where this isn't happening. And say we got like, we got three pastors on staff right now. We got over 350 to 400 people coming to church on Sundays. Not today, but on an average Sunday when it's warm. And imagine like if everybody's coming to us to be known and loved. Like, I'm honored. Like, there's nothing I enjoy more about my job than spending time with you. It's just, it's mathematically improbable, right? Like, you're not going to get much care. Our, our, our counseling sessions are going to go from 60 minutes to 6 minutes or 3 minutes. And like, you know, like, all right, good to see you. Hug, pray, go. Next one, right? Like, the idea isn't that our, st- our pastoral s- staff is the one doing the ministry, but our pastoral staff is equipping you to care for one another to know one another, like to trust one another, take your burdens to one another to be known and to be loved. It's scary too, by the way. And here's another principle I'm going to pull out just from these two verses. Growing together in biblical community, principle number three, when, we, when the members of the church engage in ministering to one another, as they are equipped and called, the church is built up. That's the second part. Built up. This is a, a Greek word. Literally, it means the act of building a structure, but it's used metaphorically in the Greek language uh, to imply this idea of, an, of, of promoting another person's spiritual growth towards Christian wisdom, morality, holiness, and happiness. That sounds like sanctification. So not only is there a sanctification include my leaning into the Lord, my dedication to Him, His powerful work in me, but according to this passage, you have something to do with that person's sanctification, and they have something to do with yours. Whatever your role is, your calling in the church is, as you do that thing, the whole church is growing, being sanctified, being built up, growing together. Earlier in this same book, in Ephesians chapter 2, Um, Paul expands on this metaphor and uses some beautiful language to describe what we're getting at here, okay? Listen to this language. This is because of what Jesus has done for us. Paul says in verse 19 of Ephesians 2, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. 
okay? So if you walk into church, you feel like a stranger or an alien, okay? Day one, that's pretty normal. You don't know anybody. Day 60, it shouldn't be the case. I'm not saying you're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying like that, the, the, the idea is that you would become one of us. He says you're no longer strangers, but now you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Here's the language again. Built on. Built on what? Built on the foundation of the apostles. This is what we have in our New Testament, these apostolic writings. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the Old Testament prophets. Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone. I, I, you think about a cornerstone, it's that, it's that it decides where the building goes, but it's that first blo- you know, block that's laid and everything else kind of builds off of it. Holding everything else together and making sure everything else is true and plumb and square and all those sorts of things. And so Jesus is, I'm not the cornerstone. Our elder body is not the cornerstone. Jesus is our cornerstone. We all build off of him. In whom, verse 21, the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built. There's that word for growth. But look at this, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's this beautiful imagery of what the church is supposed to look like. The church is constantly being built. Built up. That's not just speaking numerically or like structures or all. It's talking about you, your heart, what's going on inside of you. Like God is working on you. You're his worksmanship. He's, you think of a master mason like honing and shaping a stone something that was discarded and, and left in the rubble, and he's picked it up and said, this can be beautiful. Watch what I do with it. This is your life. But he's, he's, he's chipping away at you like a, like a master mason and fitting you into the structure of the building, and you're touching other rocks around you, and you fit perfectly with them. You complement them. Why? Because it's not good for man to be alone. And, and you're not going to find that out there in the world. You'll find plenty of humans to be around, but you won't find other humans that have been shaped to complement you. Verse 14, Ephesians 4. So that. Here's the, here's the goal. We're going to start talking about now what we're aiming at. Why is this the way God has designed the church? So that we may no longer be children. So there's the idea of like spiritual maturity. We start off as infants. No longer be children. What happens if we stay children? We get tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of what? Doctrine or teaching by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So the fifth principle here for growing together in biblical community is this. We grow together in biblical community in order that in order to have a theological stability that protects from human cunning and the crafty and deceitful schemes of the devil. So you've got an enemy who's waging war against you. He's like crouching behind you like a roaring lion, just waiting to pounce on you, and he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy you. So you don't go into battle by, by showing up on Sunday and getting your sword and your shield and your helmet and then going out into the world to slay dragons by yourself. It's not safe. Your protection comes from what? From being built together in this church. 
with Jesus as your cornerstone. There's a theological protection and stability in your life when you're intimately connected to him and connected to one another. I mean, it's, it's the same play over and over again when you see somebody wander away from church. Move to another city and just never find a church home. People who were here and committed and like part of the family and, and they begin to drift theologically. You may have seen this with your adult children. You've seen this with a friend or former church member. You weren't meant to be alone. You don't function properly that way. Somebody's hair. And that is. Just need to explain what I was doing. Uh, verse 15. Here we go. Keep going. Rather, so instead of being tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and deceitful schemes, instead of that, rather, here's what we do, verse 15, speaking the truth in love. Talking about what is true in love. Here's what happens. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. The same verbiage here. In this particular metaphor, he's the head of the body. In the other one, he was the cornerstone of the building. But either way, we're being built up. From whom, Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. In the building metaphor, you know, he was holding everything together with mortar and stability. And here it's the idea of Jesus is holding us together like a human body. Every joint, every ligament, every part is held together by Christ. When, and this is a really convicting part, each part. Let's just back up. When, what? Remember what we're after here? What is your purpose? Well, the purpose, your purpose is my purpose is our purpose. Here it is, when each part is working properly. When each part of the body is working properly, it makes the body grow spiritually so that it is built, it builds itself up in what? In love. It's not enough for us just to have an organization and everybody has an ID card and we all pay our dues, but this thing that holds us together is this, this relational bond of love. It's not enough for me just to sit next to you and you sit next to me. We're actually to be bonded together in, in relational love. That's the mortar of the building. Love. I can't love you if I don't know you. You can't love me if you don't know me. I can admire you and I can respect you and you can admire me and respect me, but to love you, I need to know you. And you've got to be willing to allow yourself to be known. And I've got to be willing to allow myself to be known. There's a couple more principles here. Principle number six is this. When one of us grows, we all grow together in biblical community. My spiritual journey impacts your spiritual journey, impacts everybody else's spiritual journey who's a part of this family. It's really sweet when you think of it that way. So I'm going through a really rough season in my life, and, and, and you're not. I need you. I need the stability of the relationship. I need the stability of knowing you're not going anywhere, that you can know me and love me. And This season hopefully will pass one day, and I can turn and be that for you or for somebody else. Here's the last principle I want to list today. 
Growing together in biblical community, principle number seven. We grow together in biblical community when every member is serving one another and leaning in to being fully known and fully loved. That's the miracle of the gospel, by the way. God knows you. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. That's the shocking part of the gospel, that there is a God in the universe who can actually know every intimate detail about your life, every thought, every action, every word. Yeah, when you yelled at your spouse this past week, he saw that, and he heard what you said. Everything. And he loves you. You feel how powerful that is? This is the intimacy of biblical community. To be fully known. For better or for worse, here it comes. This is me. And to be fully loved. I want to read um, our community group liturgy here. Many of you are in community groups, and so you just heard this this past week in your group. Um, if you're not in a community group, this is how we start our community groups um, with this same wording so that we remind ourselves of why we even showed up. Why did we even show up to this community group meeting? We start with these words. Building relationships and sharing our lives together is part of our agenda and it's no waste of time. Meaning it's not the byproduct, it is the thing we're after. This thing we are doing is about Jesus, not us. He's the cornerstone. He's the head of the body. He's holding the whole thing together. We all have been called to be part of this community. I want to stop there. Sometimes we get hurt in church because if you are letting yourself be known and vulnerable, you're doing that to other humans who also still fall short, and you may get hurt. What breaks my heart, though, is when I see two, let's just use community groups as an example, two faithful members to the church. They're doing this. They're leaning in towards one another, being fully known, fully loved. Everything is going great. And then one of them does something, and it hurts the other. It breaks my heart when the one who is hurt now feels like they don't belong, and they step away. You go, why'd you step away? Well, because they hurt me. I understand that's painful, but why do you think they belong more than you belong? Why didn't they step away? You see what I'm saying? And so the idea that we're saying here is like, regardless of what happens between us, we're both called. You're not more called than me. I'm not more called than you. We are all called to be a part of this community. And I'll continue reading. And listen to this. And no relationship is on the line today. No relationship is on the line today. Don't you long to be in a space where no relationship is on the line? You're not going to get that everywhere else in the world. You can't have that every moment of every day, but I hope you have it in a few places in life. I hope you have that in marriage. I hope you have that in a few friendships. I hope you have it in the church with your community group, a space where no relationship is on the line, Our desire and need is to share deeply and truthfully so we can be fully known and fully loved by God and each other. Therefore, we give each other the benefit of the doubt, and we are quick to give and to receive forgiveness when we sin against each other. 
we humbly affirm these relational truths. I make mistakes, and so do you. I don't have all the answers, but I have some. You don't have all the answers, but you have some too. I need you, and you need me. I am not God, and you are not God. We all need God. This is how we start our community groups. This is the essence of what it means to be in biblical community. And what Paul is saying is, hey, you want to grow spiritually? You've got to be connected to the building or the body. And that things are going to start growing. You're going to start experiencing growth when every part is serving and leaning in and every part is doing its job. The, the leaders of the church are given to equip the saints to minister to one another, to lean in towards one another. And when this happens, it's so beautiful. The church begins to grow like a building being built over time or like a human body going from childhood into full maturity. This is what we mean by growing together in biblical community. So I want to land here today with a few questions uh, for reflection, for you to think about how this applies to your life and what God may be saying to you today, right now. Let me start with the first question. In what ways have you experienced the need for intimacy and being fully known and loved within your church community? So when have you sensed that need? Where have you been where you're like, I don't feel like I'm a part, I I need more. So what are some ways you've experienced the need for intimacy? Have you been in a room full of people and felt lonely? If so, that's the need for, I, I need to be connected. I need to be more than just a, a physical body in the room. I need to be known. I need to know somebody. The second question is this. I want you to reflect on a time when you felt challenged in your faith. How did being a part of biblical community help you navigate this challenge? The devil's scheming against you, and, and you came against something really hard in life, a struggle, and how then did being a part of biblical community help you navigate this challenge? If your answer is, I don't know, or I've never experienced that, I'm really sad for you. It's not something unique to Solid Rock. This is what you're meant for. Here's the third question. In what area do you need to be equipped for ministry by our pastors and elders? Do you stop to think about that? An area you need to grow in, you desire to grow in? Well, the Ephesians 4.11 says that Jesus gave leaders to the church, pastors and elders, to, to help you, to equip you. Here's two follow-up questions. If you're not quite sure where you need to grow, start with this one. Where do you feel inadequate? Where do you feel inadequate in your spiritual life? It may just be, I need somebody to help me understand this better. Or I need somebody to help me have a more personal prayer life. Or I need somebody to, you fill in the blank. Where do you feel inadequate? And here's a follow-up question. Where are you passionate about serving others, but aren't sure how or what to do? That's another, another indication where you need to be equipped. So in what ways are you passionate about serving others, but you're not sure how or what to do? Maybe you see people in the body doing things. You're like, man, I really admire that. I wish I was more involved. I could do that. Maybe it's your community group leaders. You're like, dude, I wish I could do that. That's amazing, but I feel inadequate. 
I have a passion for it, but I don't have the, the skill for it. I don't have the ability for it. These are questions that help you figure out where you might need to be equipped for ministry. And then here's the last question. And this is really for, I want you to be thinking about 2024 as a year, okay? So not just this week or today, but this year. What are some ways you can contribute to the collective growth of our church this year? You may not be ready today. There's some equipping that needs to happen. There's some questions that need to be answered, some direction that needs to be given. Or maybe you're just in a tough spot right now, and you're like, I got nothing to give right now. That's fine. Be, be, be honest. Like, that's why we have a whole body here. There are others here who can give when you can't. But think about the whole year, not just today. And what are some ways that you would hope to be able to contribute to the collective growth of our church this year? My, my hope for us, and, and we're going to work through this even on team night with our volunteers coming up, is that as we talk about the why behind what we do, each one of us is able to see how everything you've done so far today while you've been on campus is connected to the why. And then if you volunteer in certain ways or you participate in community groups, you can see how your participation, your effort, your energy is connected to the why. Like, Shane Belter was up here. He's one of our new elders doing our elder reading today. Um, you realize that several years ago when Shane first showed up at this church, somebody had to greet him, his family. Can you see how important that is? Like, can you imagine if they showed up and got snubbed and didn't feel welcome and like, man, nobody's here looking for me. <laughs> I guess we'll go to the next church. He could just very well be down the street at another church and if that's what God wants for him, that's fine. But I like having him here and his family here. And I want you to see that. His kids are growing up in the church, and I'm looking at green shirts over here, and like, sometimes it gets a little taxing showing up every Sunday and doing the thing with the kindergartners and the second graders and the third graders, student ministry. I'm like, but like you're serving families, you're ministering to these families, and, and then you see the product of the church growing up and new elders emerging, and you're like, oh, I actually did have something to do with that. I actually did have a touch point with that family, and that's my hope for us is that we would all see the why behind what we do and how the purpose of one of us is the purpose of all of us. I want to pray with you now and invite our worship team to come back out. Um, as I do this, our prayer partners are going to move to the front. They're available and, and honored to pray with you. They came today looking for somebody, looking for them. And so if you come grab one of them, they're going to be full of just gladness that you've asked them to pray for you. Um, if you want to stay seated, if you want to sing, if you want to pray, you can do that. If you've got other questions, you want to talk to an elder or pastor, we'll be around. We'd love to talk with you more as well. Let's pray together, and, and the worship team is going to come back out. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful picture of creation and how we're able to see not just what we were created to do, but what we were created for. And God, you created us for, we saw last week, worship. This week, we're seeing how you've created us for got intimate connection with one another and with you. And this beautiful description of the church in Ephesians that describes us as a building or like a, a human body, and we're so intimately connected to one another. Our stability comes, Jesus, from you. But you haven't just called us to come in and keep seats warm. You've called us to lean in 
towards one another and to minister to one another through each of our own unique callings and giftings and experiences. So Father, now as we get ready to sing and respond, I pray your Holy Spirit would move and take what we've heard today, God, and just make it super, super clear to each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name.